0: You're listening to the weekly podcast of the services at Stonegate Fellowship Church in Midland, Texas. For more information about Stonegate, visit StonegateFellowship.com. Let's go ahead and get settled in and uh, try to get started here. Hope you've had a good morning already. Um, I got I to tell you a story to get started, maybe give you a laugh um, for the morning. I've shared it a couple of times. If you were in the meeting, Monday night, hospitality meeting, I told it, but I just, it, it involves Craig King, Bill Ewhas, and Chad Bullard. And if you know any of those three guys, you now have my permission to relentlessly dog them about this. And uh, So anyways, uh, Sunday, this uh, this guy comes up to me at church, and, and we're kind of friends, but uh, I, I'd written him a letter and... Just been telling him I'm praying for him, and so he wanted to bless me as best he knew how, and so he walks up and literally hands me two racks of freshly smoked ribs. He says, "You like ribs?" And I mean, what are you going to say? And I was like, "Yeah." And it was the five o'clock service, and so I didn't have anything to do with them. I don't eat before I preach or anything, and so I put them in the refrigerator in what we call the green room. You know what a green room is, and. Didn't think anything of it, and it sort of crossed my mind. I should put my name on those, but I, you know, I just—who in the world would would take your ribs? And so, um, so I went home and had forgotten about them. You know, I did two services, forgot about them, went home. But I woke up in the morning and remember, I thought, that's what I'm going to do for lunch. I'm going to go eat my ribs. So I go, and you already kind of know what's going to happen. I open the refrigerator, and of the two racks, there are four ribs left. And and they're basically the small end, and, and so um, I think, well, that that's interesting. Don't think about it. I figured, you know, some of them artists, singers who ate them all, and I. Um... So I go to staff meeting Monday afternoon, and I'm just sharing with the staff this funny story that happened to me, and I said, "You do not believe what happened?" And I was, I thought I was going to be ratting out the the artists, the, the the creative people, and and all of a sudden I see Chad's right here and Craig's right here, and and Bill's not in the room, he's not in the meeting, and they start, you know how your kids, when you find out something, you start talking about it, and they realize, we have been discovered, and there's this squirming that takes place, and I start telling the story, what I just told you guys, and all of a sudden, those guys go, we ate your ribs, we ate your ribs, And, and Craig King says, that is impossible, the story you're telling us. I go, no, it is the truth. It is the God-honest truth. And Craig goes, the funniest part about this is we were sitting there eating those ribs. Bill Uhas walks in and starts munching on those ribs. And he said, we started joking about how funny this would be if someone had given Patrick these ribs. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I, uh, So anyways, that night, then we'll get on with the scriptures, that night... Chad Bullard shows up at my house on my doorstep with three filet dinners from a restaurant in town with salad and vegetables. So I texted the other two guys and I said, hey, you thieves, I just want you to know that Chad is making things right. And um, so anyways, wow, let's pray and we'll dig into Hebrews. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the joy of the Lord. That I hope is an experienced strength for us. It's easy to repeat that verse the joy of the Lord is our strength. It's another thing to know it and to walk in it, whether times are good or times are bad or someone eats your ribs. And I uh, thank you for the opportunity to gather this morning. It is an honor. It is a deep, deep honor and privilege to be able to open your word in front of these men. When we leave here, in the next 40 minutes, I pray that we would each individually be uh, challenged by you, that we would each individually accept the high calling on each of our lives, whether that calling is performed in front of many or only in front of your eyes. So open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, so you have the notes in front of you. Let me kind of give you my plan. I have, uh, I think, four or five more times in front of you this fall. My intention is not to make it through the book of Hebrews in my time with you. My intention is to get as far as I can get with you, and then the next time I'm in front of you to pick up. So uh, I, I just I had this grand plan to uh, try to do this flyover of Hebrews with you in six weeks, but I have since chunked that plan. And I'll just spend, every time I'm with you in 2013 and 14, tearing up the book of Hebrews. There's too many things in here for us to just fly over. So uh, that's what we'll be doing. And so just get patient with it. And maybe that'll give you time to make a commitment to read through the book of Hebrews several times in the fall and in the spring. Chapter 1 is where we'll pick up again. And uh, I don't suppose we'll pretty much make it out of chapter 1. We'll see what we can do. But verse 1, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the this effulgence that fancy word we used he is this this explosion of the perfection of the attributes of god he is the exact imprint or the the representation of the character of the nature of god and he upholds the universe by the word of his power even though everybody might be gathered in new york for the un he holds the nations as the old song says in his hand there is nothing outside of his control. I hope that that may be what you need just for today. After making purification for sins, which is where we'll begin today, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So let's go to your notes and I want to take you down. I think it's number six on your notes. I sometimes reformat to print the notes. And so it's the, it's the one that says Jesus is the remedy for the defilement of sin. Jesus is the remedy for the defilement of sin. Now, I have uh, not given you lines to fill in in the hopes that you would take notes. And what I want to do in this issue of this remedy for the defilement of sin is take you back to Romans chapter 3. So take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 3. I don't mean to rehearse well-worn material, but I want to clarify something on this purification or remedy for the defilement of sin. Um, when we share the gospel with teenagers these days, this became very clear to us at camp this year, more clear than ever before, Um you run into students who, who, who their, per, their perception, and I'm telling you the student perception because this might be yours. Many times, the only thing we communicate about the gospel is as follows. We say something that's true, but the truth we're communicating is not communicating the whole truth. This is what we say. We say, you are a sinner, which is biblically true. We say, you're sinners, but oftentimes, we don't, what we don't clarify is that by the meaning of that word, we're talking about men and women who aren't sorry creatures. This is, And I'm going to talk about this for just a minute. You are not, if you are not a follower of Jesus, you are not a sorry, no good creature. Okay? As a matter of fact, if you go to Genesis 9, don't. If you go to Genesis 9, this is after the flood you will see the Lord tell us that you are still created in the image of God. That makes you this magnificent, one-of-a-kind, unrepeatable miracle of God. Now the reason that is important is because even though we as followers of Jesus know that people without Jesus are sinners, it is critical that we see them as sinners deeply, deeply treasured by God their Creator. If if all you do is see people as dirty, rotten sinners who do dirty, rotten, sinful things who are to be despised and pushed back from, then you do not show them love. And rather than seeing them as these amazing creatures created in the image of God, deeply loved by Him, demonstrated by Jesus, who sought out the worst He sought out those who had the worst habits and the worst issues because they were his creation. And and the reason this continues to be important is because when you share the gospel with someone who doesn't have an addiction story, a drug issue, an alcohol issue, or a messed up family, in other words, when you stand in front of someone and they go, you know what, I had a good upbringing, I've had a good family, I've never suffered with addictions. I mean, you know, the worst addiction you have is a hunting thing every year or whatever. I mean, you, when you talk to people who say, well, you know, I, what's wrong with me? And, and what we have to be careful of is the gospel is not simply intended for people who have deep, deep physical problems and addictions to get saved. And what we don't realize is we have painted a picture of sin that is solely related to behavior rather than a picture of what it means to be a sinner that communicates something we're missing. Now you're looking at me like, I, you, you've lost me. But listen, I can stand in front of a crowd of teenagers, and I can have every teenager who has had premarital sex, smoked reefer, and, and had a keystone light, because it's all they can afford. I can have every single one of those teenagers down to the front accepting Jesus, okay? Because I can get them to believe they're some sorry, washed-up person. But when I go to San Francisco or Austin or downtown Midland and start sharing with professionals that they are sinners in desperate need of a Savior, there better be something more to my gospel than just you're an addict and you need Jesus. You see, the worst part about being a sinner is not that you, you have behavior that reflects that you're a sinner. The worst part about being a sinner is that you are separated from the experience of the wonder of the glory of God. Now, I told you to go to Romans 3. Let me see. Uh, if I can't back this up with Scripture, then it's a moot point. So, chapter 3, verse 21. And this matters in seeing that Jesus made purification for sin... And in a moment, we'll see that he even sat down because the work is done. Chapter 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested. It's been made clear apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to the righteousness of God. Now, it doesn't say that. I'm just helping you see the, the context here. So the righteousness of God... Literally, the God-centeredness of God has been made known apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. You realize the law and the prophets continually exposed our inability to live in the wonder of the glory of God. It continually exposed how incapable we were of experiencing our greatest joy. For instance, only the priest was allowed to go into the presence of the glory of God. And even at that, if he was barely not right, he died. To be in the presence of the glory of God is to be in the presence of that which gives us our greatest life and joy. Being saved is not just going to heaven. Being saved is being given the opportunity to step into a free offer of my greatest joy. This is why so many of us struggle in our Christianity because our Christianity is only made up of stepping into a confession to heaven rather than understanding the fullness of salvation to be gained now that Jesus purchased for us. You see, the law and the prophets demonstrate you cannot measure up to the holiness of God. That's why every time you read the law and the prophets in the Old Testament and you see God slaughter people, He can slaughter wholesale because of the wonder of his glory. He is God-centered. And for me to come into his presence is to come into the fullness of a creator who created me for more than I could hope or imagine. But someone had to open that door because Adam and Eve, through their actions, slammed that door. And so we we keep reading. Verse 22, The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now remember, I've told you this a hundred times, but sin is not just stealing cookies from the cookie jar. Sin is me believing I can find my greatest joy and satisfaction and fulfillment apart from God. To which you might respond, where do you get that? Very simple, it's what Eve did. Because the enemy deceived her into believing God was holding out on her. Now listen, when I start talking to teenagers, and, I, and, and I'm using teenagers so that you can go, well, that's me too, but I don't want to accuse you. I'll just accuse teenagers. And so when, when I talk to teenagers about the things they're not supposed to do, But I don't share with them the glory that God has intended for them in their behaviors that is a reflection of his glory. All they battle with is right and wrong rather than less glorious and more glorious. And we do the same thing. But Jesus came to move us, allow us movement into something that gives us life, not just something that makes me sit there and go, I messed up again, oh my goodness. I didn't mean to cuss again. I did it again. I mean that, And that's what our Christianity boils down to. Rather than this, this pursuit of this introduction of an opportunity to step into the wonder of a relationship that allows me to become everything God designed, called, and gifted me to be. For all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. Now what's interesting is verse 23 does not say, all have sinned and are headed to hell. Now, I I totally believe it is biblical that when you die, if you do not have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you will spend eternity separated from God in a real place called hell. But Paul tells us first and foremost, because we sin, we are separated from the magnitude of the fullness of the character of God, which is his glory. All have sinned and fall short of the magnitude of this glory. But watch, we are justified... "...by the unmerited favor or grace that is a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus." Verse 25, probably one of the most important three verses in the Bible. "...whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith." That word, propitiation, your translation may not have the word propitiation, but it is a critically important verse. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now hang with me, okay? I know this is like diving off in the deep end and you just woke up. But when you talk about him being the propitiation, I could not step into a relationship of magnificent glory the fulfillment of who I was called to be unless someone paid this blood sacrifice. You've heard this, but oftentimes all we think is Jesus hung on a cross, pray a prayer, get me to heaven. Jesus hung on a cross for more than just to get you to heaven. He hung on a cross to give you the opportunity to step into a reconciled relationship with your glorious creator. So you could step into the gloriousness of your purpose intended for you, this side of heaven. Getting to heaven is just icing on the deal. Stepping into the gloriousness of this relationship with my creator, who he then reconciles me and redeems me and remakes me, allows me this side of heaven to walk in my ultimate joy. And if Christianity for you is anything less than walking in the ultimate joy of what the Father intends for you, you're missing the joy of it. That's why the enemy is constantly trying to steal from you and cheapen Christianity down to us versus them. Now, go back to Hebrews, and let me show you something. Go back to Hebrews. I know that I can just kind of feel it in you. You're like, I, I needed something shallower this morning. I, I just, could, could we sing Jesus Loves Me and, and be done with this? I'm just telling you guys, you, you have got to spend some serious man time meditating on the nature of your salvation. If you don't meditate on the nature of your salvation and all it ever is for you is you pray to prayer now you're, now you're trying to do right before you die, you are missing the wonder of what you've been saved into. And for me... I spent the first 30 years of my salvation just hoping that I could do it right. Rather than understand... I'll give you an example. I won't even finish that sentence. I'll give you an example. I wake up, and this is no exaggeration. I wake up every morning when I'm home, if I'm not traveling, and I get out of bed, and I look down towards that bed, and I go, that is the most gracious expression of the glory of God that I get to be with her every day. Now listen... Every morning that God allows you to breathe is another day by his gracious expression, he invites you to the wonder of a relationship with him. And it's a relationship he paid the total price for, that even regardless of your behavior that you oftentimes mess up with, that we all mess up with, he is still inviting me into a glorious usage of his glory through my life that exceeds what I could ever hope or imagine. And, and most of us as men are constantly chasing something that fulfills us, but we have been given an opportunity through Jesus to step into what fulfills us. Christianity is so much more than just good people doing good things. It is glorious creations redeemed into the glory of their creator meant to live glorious lives for the glory of their creator. If you've heard me use the word glory over and over, I mean it. It's not just a word you use in old-fashioned church where you go, glory. It, it It is the fullness of the attributes of God allowed to work in your life because of what Jesus did. Now, let me show you something else here. When you look at him being the remedy for the defilement of my sin, I mean, he... I I woke up this morning and, and just, I spent time from about four o'clock on just, just saying, Lord, just thank you. Because oftentimes this is what I find myself doing. Lord, please forgive me of that. Lord, I, forgive me for that. You ever find yourself doing that? You do know that that's an empty prayer because you're forgiven. But we're to come into confession. And Lord, I see that in my life. Thank you that you have forgiven me for this. That you have reconciled me in this. And the worst thing about this is because of my actions, I have stepped away from living in the wonder of who you've called me to be. And and so when, when Jesus was the remedy for this defilement, this inability for me to walk in this glory, and you've got to meditate on that, guys. I don't expect you to walk out of here this morning and go, you know, I get that. That's so real to me already. You are going to have to meditate through this. And I will tell you that some of you guys in here, who say you're Christians, you're not. And the reason you're not is because you have yet to step into transformation. You have stepped into church. But you have yet to step into a surrender of who you are. And I'm not saying that so we can have a revival moment here. I'm saying that so that you can sit down and in your own heart say, you know what, God? I want all of you I want the fullness of who you are, and I completely surrender everything to you. Because this is what, I, what has happened as I've taught seniors the last five years. I walk with them for nine months, and then I get to camp with them, and I say, I want to know if you have surrendered everything to Jesus, and this is what they say. Is that what Christianity is? Because I'm not sure surrendering to him holds out hope for my best life. You know why? Because they've been taught Christianity is putting off things I want to do to do things I don't want to do. What about you? What's your Christianity? Is it putting off one mode of behavior in order to step into another mode of behavior? Or is it stepping into the relationship of your glorious creator who although he demands an ultimate surrender through Jesus, he promises an ultimate blessing of his glory through Jesus. Which is it? Which is it for you? And I hope you'll meditate on that and and see where you are in this, your your defilement of sin, there has been a remedy made for you to step into an amazing glory. And I hope you'll meditate on that. I'm gonna go to the next point here and, and we'll keep going as we run out of time. Number seven, I think it is on your notes, Jesus is the ultimate finisher of God's work. Uh, He says here, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. You're in the book of Hebrews again. Move over to chapter 10. And let me show you something here in chapter 10. This is an interesting thing as you read through the book of Hebrews. I hope you'll pick up. Chapter 10. And again, we'll get here eventually in May. But in chapter 10, verse 11. Every priest stands daily at his service. Let me read again so you see the word here. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Remember this as you read through the Old Testament. Every time you see this stuff taking place, it is always pushing into the issue that we can do nothing for our salvation. God had to do something. That's why it's important you also know that Jesus was the lamb created. He was the, not created, he was the lamb before the creation of the world, slain before the foundation of the world. That is the only way that God is just in his, 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 his destruction and judgment of sin in the Old Testament because even before the foundation of the world, he had already, in the plan of God, offered a sacrifice in Jesus' His Son. The other thing you have to meditate on in your understanding of who God is, is there is no such thing in the presence of God as yesterday, today, or tomorrow. It is all now. Now, that's enough to just make you quit, but it's all now. That's why whenever you get worried about time or the end times, cool off, dude. I mean, he's in it. He was in it then, he's in it now, and he's in it later. And in, his, in the mind of God, in the moment of God, which encapsulates all the past, all the present, and all the future, in the moment of God was the crucifixion and the resurrection for his righteousness and our glory. So, you, God, it's just getting deeper, isn't it? It's just not getting any easier. And, um, but you are not allowed, as men of God, to only stay on the surface. You are not As as John Piper talks about in one of his great books called We Are Not Professionals, he has a chapter called Bitzer Was a Banker. And it's the story of a banker who was one of the greatest Greek and Hebrew theologians around. He wasn't a seminarian, he was a businessman. And I'll remind you again at this little moment of pause this city will not change because of Patrick the Preacher or others who stand on this stage. This city will change when you comprehend the magnitude of your salvation and the glory of God, and that is noticed. And it will only be noticed not because you don't get drunk when you go to business parties. It will not be seen just because you're a good moral guy who blesses his food when you go out and eat. It will be seen when there is something of the glory of God that has taken root down in your soul that comes out and is manifested in a way that people say, there is something I cannot put my finger on that is coming out of that man's life. And that only comes through being in the abiding presence of the glory of God, not in a guy who follows rules. Because you always behave based upon what you treasure most. And when your behavior is a result of what you treasure, somehow a city has to see that. And the people you work with have to see that. Let me show you another verse. Remember chapter 10, verse 11. Let me show you chapter 12. I'm eventually going to make this point. Chapter 12. I love chapter 12. These first two verses are some of my favorite. The the mental picture of this. I'll just read the first two. Verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded... By so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight. I mean, think about that. Surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know if there is this, this moment where the saints of old, in their presence of the glory of God, see us completing the expression of the glory of God they started. I don't know how that occurs. I know that and some of you think this is the worst thing that could ever happen to you, but but the picture I ha- literally have, and maybe it's too dramatic, I don't know, but in, in August, I got to take this sort of private tour of the OU athletic facilities, and the old radio guy, Merv Johnson, takes me down into the locker room and walks me through the tunnel that leads up to the field. And so whatever field is the one you dream of, or the golf course, or whatever, and I said, can I walk out there? You know, I was like, that's holy. Can I, Can I... Can I just walk out there? And he said, "You can do whatever you want out there. You can pick grass if you want." And I walked all the way out to the middle of the field, stood on the fifty-yard line, and just did this. Now I know that's kind of stupid for some of you. For others, you're like that's so cool. For others of you, like well, if you have gone to a real field, but anyways, whatever your opinions are, the the concept. Don't let the drama of the moment miss you that when you woke up this morning by the grace of God and took breath by the grace of God who has numbered your days, there is an expectation that we'll get to in Hebrews 11 that says you are walking in something that has to be finished in the glorious presence of the alumni of the kingdom of God. You are not just taking up space today. And you'll not get that if you don't understand the glory and the magnitude of your salvation That you have been saved into something that is to be on display that is desperately needed by a host of heaven that have gone before you and paved the way for you to walk in. Let me put it this way. Are you walking worthy of those who have walked before you? Are you worthily treasuring the salvation that has caused others to say, slaughter me? Are you worthy of the salvation that is causing Coptic Christians to lose their lives today. It is not just some cheesy American church gig. Maybe that's why the church is so irrelevant in America. It is, a, it is something of men made up of, made up of men who see that a glorious creator has paid a price for me to step into something glorious, not just that I don't drink, smoke, cuss, or hate people who do. It is a glorious calling for men of God to step into the hallways of work and say, I am surrounded by Moses. I am surrounded by Abraham. I am looked on by Paul and Barnabas and Titus and Timothy and my seated glorious Savior who says to my royal son who leaves 630 Bible study, will you live to display this glory today? And so when you you look again at chapter 12, Let's lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. Beautiful picture, because here's the picture. It says, lay it aside and then lay it aside again. And then lay it aside again. And then lay it aside again. You've got to constantly be just shedding this stuff. And constantly pushing your eyes. Guys, you are never going to wake up one morning and go, you know what? I'm done struggling. Not going to happen. It's just not. And so every day, you got to wake up with the, this idea of fighting. And if you're not a fighter, learn to be one. If you don't like pugilism, learn to like it. Because you have been called to fight for something greater. So he says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Here it is. For the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The reason that's so important that he took his seat is because no one takes their seat unless they're done. And he is finished with your work of needed salvation. He offers it as a gift gift to you. But let me show you something else. Turn back to chapter 7. This verse ought to stoke you. Bro. Hebrews 7. Watch this. Now, it's becoming clearly evident. We're not even going to make it through Hebrews in the next year. But it, we will. We will. It's such a book. Watch this. Watch this happening on your behalf. Because I can see it in your eyes that many of us, all of us, whether we admit it or not, sit, sit there and go, I, 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 don't, I can't do that. I cannot do that. We all know ourselves all too well. Watch this. Chapter 7, verse 25. A seated Savior. Consequently, verse 25, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. So he can completely and he will completely save you. Watch this. Since, and you can put the word now, since now he always lives to make intercession for them. Oh, dude, seriously, don't miss this. So he comes to earth. He, he makes his entrance through Bethlehem. He lives for 30 or so. He dies on a cross. He is rejected by the holiness of his Father for a season as our propitiation. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is indeed finished. The debt has been paid. The curtain has been rent into. The guards say, Surely this was the Son of God, and it's paid. He is resurrected. He is beheld by many. He ascends to the right hand of the Father, sets us on a mission for his predetermined course of history, sits at the right hand of the Father, and sits there right now, and as I bow my head and pray this morning, because he knows what it is to be tempted, looks to my king, my father, and says, I know exactly what he's going through, and I paid the price for him. He's ours. He's mine. I own him. We treasure him. Our glory is in him. Do you get that? That at this moment, the Son of God, by name, because he created you and knows you better than you know yourself and redeemed you to make more of you than you would have ever dreamt for yourself, sits at the right hand of the Father and intercedes at all times for you. At all times intercedes for you. I mean, I don't know what picture you need for intercession. But guys, I mean, it is... I have so many stories running through my head today that, that just the Lord has allowed me to see this, this kind of intercession. And I'm not gonna use them because it'd come across wrong. But just, uh, I'll use one that won't come across wrong. College, wasn't necessarily walking with Jesus. Um, I go to this, this club, this bar, just a dive bar. And it's a frat bar, which I was not Greek, but I partied on the penny of people in Greek. And so I, I, I walk up to this bar and this big dude, walks up and he goes you can't get in here. And he's saying all this junk to me. And but my best friend was a nose guard on the football team. <laughs> and he was in there. And um, he came out with his roommate who was a linebacker from Houston. This is the kind of roommate he was. He used to make poison darts in his dorm room and he would shoot squirrels with the poison darts. And he's just a weird guy. But here I am even smaller than I am now, going, I want in. And, and here's this big guy saying, you can't get in. Out walk my best friend and his roommate going, he gets in. And they go, you're in. Yes, I am. I was just telling you. I, listen, when you, when you blow it today, you're in. If you know the king. And I don't mean if you're a church member. And I don't mean if you've gone down front and cried one time. And I don't mean if you went to camp and signed a card. I mean if you have looked up, looked down, or looked around and said, Jesus, you are my king. I have to have you. I have to have you. I have to have your salvation. And he says, I sit on your behalf. I hung on your behalf. I rose on your behalf. And I sit on your behalf interceding for you because I was the remedy for your sin and the finisher for God's work in your life. Guys, don't, don't miss that. Because I can give you a list of things to do and not to do, but what will drive what you do and what you don't do is what you treasure. And you only treasure what truly changes you. And what truly changes you is a Savior who created you, who desires to rechange you and walk you into more than you could have ever designed, called, or thought you were gifted to be. Let me give you one more verse and we'll. We made it through two today. Um, but I, I want to take you to uh, chapter two and we'll, go, we'll be together again next week and um, we'll just keep plugging along. I would encourage you just to bring a notebook over the next few weeks because I'm going to quit trying to make notes. I'm just going to walk through this with you. But I want to see something. I want you to see something that we'll get to next week, but I want you to see it now so you see the heart of your intercessor. Your intercessor being Jesus. I love this and I want you to leave with this. And then I want to pray something over you. Verse 14 of chapter 2. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood. Now that's you and I. He himself likewise partook of the same things. That is Jesus. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Man, that is, that's a month's worth of meditation. The fearlessness that our salvation should bring in the face of death. Whew. Verse 16. Boy, it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Now watch this. Verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers. That's Jesus being made like us in every respect, so that he might become... A merciful and a faithful high priest in the service of God, merciful and faithful. I mean, He knows a merciful and faithful priest to make propitiation. There's that word again for the sins of the people. Now, verse eighteen, for because He Himself has suffered when tempted. Woo! I mean, most of us don't know what it's like to be tempted and not succumb most of the time. We know what it is to fight, but watch this. Let me, let me keep reading, verse 18. For Jesus, he himself has suffered when tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Now there's a huge debate in the theological circles called the peccability or impeccability of Christ. Crazy words. It just means could Jesus have sinned or not. Now, I'm just you can you can call me a heretic, because in the seminary I went to, not one of my professors would agree with me. I personally, so just don't leave the church over this, but I, I personally think it's rather ridiculous to think that he could know my suffering but not be tempted to sin. I personally think, and you can totally disagree and I will honor you because guys smarter than me and better than me totally disagree with me. So this is my opinion. I just sort of, when someone tells me, well, there's no way he could have sinned, then I sit there and go, well, then what difference does it make? You get my point? I don't, you don't have to agree, but I'm just saying, if I say to you, you know, I know exactly what you're going through, but I don't know, I've never been what you're going through. I mean, like if somebody walks up to me and says, you know, the other day I uh, got on my jet and flew to New Orleans and ate breakfast at Brennan's, you know what that's like? I'd be like, no, no, I don't. I got up and went to Oscars. I mean, I don't know what that's like. But for the Bible to tell me that Jesus knows exactly what you're going through. And he has suffered when tempted. Now I go right to the garden. Where Jesus said, Dad, I do not want to do this. What is that? And then he says, but I'll do it if it's your will. That's, that's the humanity of Jesus saying, I am choosing to obey you. Now I know you can go around the other side of the debate and go, well, he's God and he would have done it. That's fine. But I choose to be thankful each morning and night that in the face of my struggles, my savior is sitting at the right hand of my creator, which is really both of them, and says, I know what he's going through and this is the strength he needs. So whatever you go through today, There is one seated at the right hand of God who finished a work for your salvation for the glory of which you are intended to walk in so that people would see the glory of God through the way that you live your life and they would not be attracted to a sinner's prayer. They would be attracted to a sinner's redemption that walks them into a glorious life worth having because it begs the question, is your Christianity worth having? Or are we just trying to grow churches and getting people to get baptized? Is the Jesus you, I mean, if you walked out on the street today, could you take this Jesus out of your life and say to those around you, you've got to have this. Let's pray together. I want to ask you just to keep your heads bowed, and I want to read this, uh, this prayer over you. It's really a confession. I love it. It's powerful, it may not be your heart, but uh, I want to read it over you. And so Father, as I begin to read this, I I pray you'd begin to just keep renewing in each one of us what it means to walk with you, to be men of change, to be men of uh, the glory of God. And so I'm just, I love this prayer, I hope it means something to these guys. I am a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have the Holy Spirit's power. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I will not look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. And my future, it is secure. I am finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame visions, mundane talking, chintzy giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by presence, learn by faith, love by patience, lift by prayer, and labor by power. My pace is set. My gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions are few, my guide is reliable, my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, deterred, lured away, turned back, deluded or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I will not give up, back up, let up, or shut up until I have preached up, prayed up, paid up, stored up, and stayed up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I must go until He returns, give until I drop, preach until all know, and work until He comes. And when He comes to get His own, He will have no problem recognizing me. My colors will be clear, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. Father, The heart, the life, the salvation of this community rests on men of God. And I pray we would own this mantle. And we would live out a salvation that is about the glory of God, not a list of rules. But a salvation that is captivated and made captivating by the fact that we have been redeemed into the glory of God. That heaven is indeed a destination, but our calling is now. Our journey is right here. Our purpose is this day. And I pray these men would see that they are the light of the world. They are the salt of the earth. And there is a great calling on their lives. Whether their collar is blue, whether it is white, whether it is gray, or they're still looking for a collar. That they have a calling on their lives. And when we fail, which we will. When we mess up, which we will. When we fumble, which we will. Would you please encourage us And cause us to run back to you, the author and finisher of our faith, knowing that our days are not done, our fight is not over, our cause is not finished. So it's in Jesus' name we pray, asking that these men would leave this place and go preach well and use words if they must. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day. God bless you. See you next week.